Thank you, Dennis and Faith. And I know uh, such a blessing uh, that you led us in worship this morning. And I know uh, they really kind of did it off the cuff, per se, because uh, Rhett was sick. And there are many others that are not here that are sick as well. And so if you would be praying for our sick brothers and sisters that are not here, and hopefully uh, you don't get sick and I don't get sick either. So, um, amen. So, well, let's, uh, that's right. Well, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll turn to the word this morning. Father, thank you for the, the joy it is that we now, through Christ, can come before the throne of God. And we just thank you. We are overjoyed. We are uh, just so immensely blessed as people who do not come because we are perfect and do not come because we are uh, above others and we do not come uh, because we aren't uh, sinners, but we come because we are saved sinners. We are ones who have been bought by the blood of Christ and, and we just rejoice in him. And we don't come as a people who are holier than thou mentality, but we come as a people who are humbled by your holiness and your grace that you have continually and so mercifully shown us. And it is such an incredible privilege and to know you, and that will not end for your children. It will continue into all eternity, and we look forward to that, uh, even as... Uh, we are here for a time, but we will be there for all of eternity, and we rejoice, and we look forward to that day. And so, Father, we, we ask, Lord, that you would be with us now and help us, Father, by your Spirit to come with uh, minds, with hearts, uh, even with knees uh, that are ready, ready to bow and ready to receive uh, your word from your word. And so we ask for your grace that you would help us receive it. Um, we ask, Father, that you know every person that is here right now and you know what is going on in their lives. We ask, Father, that you would work right now in directing them to you and to seek the things that are above, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning... I'd like to begin with a question, and not a question really to stump you, uh, but a question really in many ways to make plain what is plain in Scripture. So the, scripture, the, the, the question is, what happens, what happens when someone comes to Jesus? So do they stay the same? You know, a man comes to Jesus, you know, a woman comes to Jesus, a, a child, a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, young, old, known, unknown. What, what happens when they turn to faith? Well, I can tell you what does not happen. They don't stay the same. You cannot meet Jesus truly and walk away as though 
all is as it was. When Jesus saves someone, that person is not just different. They will never be the same again. Valleys of dry bones don't forget that they were once dead. And now they are alive. You know, zombies just you know, had Halloween or Reformation Day or whatever you do. Zombies, they don't forget that they were dead. Now they are no longer dead. They are alive. They live. So they aren't pretending to be alive. They are, and they live and keep living as those who are alive. Well, over the last weeks, we have been walking through uh, the thoroughly Christ-centered letter to the Colossians. So over the course of the first two chapters, again and again, we have been given truth after truth. Paul, he has lifted up Jesus and called his children to lift up Jesus with him and to lift him up as their banner, right? We saw the exalted Christ and our hearts were lifted up with the exalted Christ and bowing before him. And now, this morning, we see a shift in the letter from here is the exalted Christ and here is who you are and who you are to be, and here's what you need to beware of, like we've seen over the last two weeks. And here is the truth that Christ is enough to now this is how you who know Christ are to live. So Paul, he moves to urge those who know Jesus, know Jesus now to live for Jesus. So those who have come to faith in Jesus to live for him. Hence, from here on to the rest of Colossians, we are urged to live a Christ-centered life. So to see this, will you please turn with me then to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And uh, we didn't have the opportunity to get our slides together for this morning, but there are sermon notes there you can follow along with in your bulletin. Uh, and I would encourage you to do that uh, if you would like to. So may God stir our souls and, and uh, help us live lives centered upon our Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, now as we come to our passage here, these verses, you know, I don't at all wish to make light of the ongoing struggle that we have with sin and self as followers of Christ. You know, once dead, now alive, does not mean you know, we are now perfect, right? Um, we still 
walk imperfectly, and we still have our sins and imperfections. But I do want to address something that I believe has been going, has been an ongoing hindrance for churches and for those who know Christ. Uh, it's rather a simple idea, but it is all wrong. And the gist of the idea is this. I'll be a Christian sometimes. So every so often, I'll clock out. Well, we may clock out from our jobs, but there is no clocking out for the Christian. A police officer wears his uniform, and when he's on duty, well, as Christians, let us wear Christ always. Hence it is that Paul, he urges us to the Christian life. He's saying, you who have been made alive, live as those who are alive. So we are called the Christian living. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And so, first here, our lives, if you're taking notes, our lives are to be Christ-oriented. Christ-oriented. And there are two emphases that we see here with this opening verse. The first emphasis is on the here and now. So Paul, he is making a contrast uh, alongside chapter 2, verse 20. So he says there, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, and then verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ. So the spiritual forces of darkness have no authority over us, nor ought we be drawn into seeking after false demonic spiritualities. We saw that last week. But chapter 2, verse 20, it's also connected to chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. That Christ is our circumcision. We have been buried with Him, dead to our old selves, now to walk in newness of life. So hopefully I'm painting this picture, now you see the logic of where Paul is going now that he's going into Colossians chapter 3. So that's one emphasis. The other emphasis here is this helpful phrase, already, not yet. So there's a real sense we are presently, like already, seated with Christ. Yet, at the same time, we await the day when it will be fully realized, hence, not yet. Already, not yet. So, during World War II, you know, June 6th, 1944, you know, we know as D-Day, and that day was a pivotal day. You know, that day, 1,000 ships set out carrying 200 some 200,000 some soldiers, and they crossed the seas and brought a terrible blow against Germany. You know, the, the war, it was not over yet, but many have said that day essentially sealed the fate for Germany. The war was over, but it wasn't over. May 8th, 1945 was still to come. The E-Day. So, Already, not yet. So our victory 
is sure, but we still must wage war here and now. It's certain, but we are still having to battle and fight the good fight of the faith. We are already seated with Christ, but we also await the day when all that will be fully realized. Not as though it's uncertain, because it is certain. But we wait. Hence, receive the command to seek the things that are above. You're already seated there. So, under uh, Christ-oriented, we see we need to reorient your priorities. We need to reorient our values because we are residents of Christ's kingdom. So we need to be purposefully, intentionally, and wholeheartedly making it our pursuit to live according to and on the basis of Christ and His kingdom. You are already a resident there. So we need to live that way. So we are to offer ourselves totally such that our hearts are laid before our Lord and we then must pursue Christ's likeness. So our values, they are to be reshaped and reoriented to be defined by Jesus. You aren't to pursue the things or pursue things like the world does. Your joy isn't to be anchored to the things of this world like the world has its joy anchored to this world. Your pursuit of joy needs to be realigned, reoriented to the things above, towards Christ. So we say, Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A reorienting of your joy where you see ultimate joy is not in these things. Though we can enjoy things here, and we should enjoy things here, and we should see every good gift is from above, we know that true joy, lasting joy, is in Jesus Christ. Reorienting. Even how we understand joy. Our our aims and dreams as well. Or if you'd like, ambitions. Does not make it acceptable for us to have those and then also to trample over others and run them down along the way. That's the way the world kind of thinks of it, right? The ends justify the means. Well, we are to align ourselves with Jesus and with the things above because we are part of His kingdom. Not this one. Hence, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You may consider yourself to be, you know, a rather direct kind of person, you know, tell it like it is kind of person. You know, I've heard it before. 
you know, this is just the way I am and this is my personality, I cannot change. Well, that is not actually what Scripture says. Our personalities and who we are, if we know Jesus Christ, will change and it will grow and it will be reoriented. So if our personality, if we're not changing, something is terribly wrong. But if you, you know, I, I used to be like that, especially when I became a new Christian, tell like it is kind of person, you know, this truth, you know. Well, but Christ, He has come to reorient even that. Not that we're not about truth. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we don't just say, well, that's just who I am. We say, Lord, make me like who you are. Reorient your values. Also, reorient your trajectory. It's the second part there. Reorient your trajectory. So let Christ be your itinerary. <laughs> so itinerary, an itinerary is a document that essentially details where you will be going. Well, on the Christian's itinerary, there are to be these words. Seek the things that are above. Seek Christ. That's your itinerary, Christian. So, over your relationships, seek Christ. Over your parenting, seek Christ. Over your work, seek Christ, over your prayer life, seek Christ. Over your words, seek Christ. Over your witness, seek Christ. And over them all, bow, saying, Yes, Lord, I will submit to your word. I will make Christ my itinerary for all of life. So be Christ-oriented. And that is exactly what Paul will be doing as we continue. He will walk through our relationships. He will walk through our parenting. He will walk through our work. He will walk through our prayer life. And he will walk through our words and our witness. The rest of this letter. So second, second big point, we are to be Christ-minded. We are to be Christ-minded. Minded. So we are exhorted here to set, set our minds on things that are above, okay? So like setting a glass on a table, like setting my Bible on this pulpit, our minds are to be set on things above. That's the idea here. You know, sometimes we place, if we can imagine it, you know, we set ourselves on a tram or a train marked things that are on earth. 
Well, if your, if your mind and your thoughts are set there, where do you think you will be bound? What direction do you think you'll be going if you're on that train? Things that are on earth. And perhaps your thoughts have been full of anxiety and, and fear, maybe anger, maybe even hopelessness, maybe even despair, maybe even lust. If we set our minds on things that are on earth, to there we will go. And that is the direction we will go. Instead, we are to set ourselves and our minds and thoughts on the train or tram that is marked things that are above. And this is referring to our minds and not just not just our affections, although what we think will affect your affections. I mean, that's why when you're nervous about something and your body is not just simply, uh, you're like, I'm fine even though you're nervous. That is, when you get nervous, you begin perhaps feeling sick at your stomach. You begin shaking or anger. You begin shaking, right? You get, so our affections most, or our minds, what we think, most certainly affect our bodies. But here, may it be that we think in ways that are undergirded by Christ. Think in ways that are undergirded by Christ. So this word undergird was originally used when, you know, sailors, they would tie ropes underneath a ship. So hence it is that our thoughts are to be undergirded by Jesus. So all we think is to be undergirded by Christ. He should be interwoven into our thoughts whether we are thinking about the magnificent or about the mundane. You know, as one pastor kind of, you know, said, you know, we can drink orange juice to the glory of God. You know, there's nothing that isn't to be off limits or not defined or undergirded by Christ. Even math. Recently, in Seattle, they have decided that math is oppressive. Yes. Well, in an article from Reason Magazine, Robbie Soav recently wrote, math is a deeply frustrating subject for many elementary and high school students. But Seattle public schools are gearing up to accuse math of a litany of more serious crimes. Imperialism dehumanization, and the oppression of marginalized persons. Wow, okay. Well, what is happening there is we are, there is a contrary mind being set forth for us that is contrary to Christ. Everything, if there is no truth anything and everything that has a claim for truth, 2 plus 2 equals 4, must be challenged. But we are being challenged on multiple fronts to succumb to a world opposed to truth. Truth claims of all sorts are being challenged, and now even math. But beyond these, 
what undergirds them, the God of truth, the true God who has truly given us His Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life, He is to undergird our minds. So even our view of math must be undergirded by Christ. There is truth. As contrary claims rage against truth and the truths of God's Word, let your every thought be undergirded and set upon Jesus. Set upon things above. And as those waves of challenges come, we will not be moved. Because we are not set on this world. So it is no platitude for Paul to call us to let our minds be set on things above, that our minds and thoughts would be undergirded by Christ. So do not be taken in. Be undergirded by Christ and let your thoughts be undergirded by Christ. All of them. Also, two, think in ways transformed by Christ. Think in ways transformed formed by Christ. So we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And this does not happen automatically, but, you know, we really, there is a real wrestling that goes on. It's not just simply set your mind on things above and your, your thoughts will just change. It's magic. I mean, you just automatically be out Jesus all the time, you know. There's going to have to be some battles in yourself. You're going to have to wrestle with ideas and thoughts that are contrary to Christ, and you're going to have to wrestle them down by the Spirit of God and kill them. Which makes sense to what we see next. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Paul tells us. It will be a wrestling So how do we do that? Well, they must be renewed by the Word. So we need, to, we need to know the Word of God. You know, we need to breathe the Word of God. And even as Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, we need to be such that we bleed Scripture. We're cut, and out it comes. So thoughts like, I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. Turns to, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. and All these things will be added to you. Thoughts like, and that person, they just, they really, they really hurt me. Turns to, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. I'm afraid of what people might think about me. Turns to, so whether we are at home or away, our aim is to please Him. I'm a sinner here today. All these things are too much. I don't have my mind in any of these ways. I don't even know this Jesus you're talking about. Turns to, Christ came into the world to save sinners. So may we set our minds on things above and be Christ-minded. Third, 
we have the reason we are to be set upon the things above. So this is the reason, because we are Christ-bound. Not bound as in like chain, but bound as, as in trajectory, heading there. For, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, as strange it may, as it may be to say it this way, this is only true if you're dead. So as one commentator put it, no one can rise again with Christ if he has not first died with him. So it's only through dying that you may live. And this you know, seemingly paradoxical statement means you come to Christ, You, when you come to Christ, you die to your sin, you die to your way, you die to yourself, and He takes upon Himself your sin, and He puts you on His way, and now are put, you put on the new self according to Christ. So dry bones live. The zombie breathes. And you're never the same again into all of eternity. And maybe you're here and you've realized you do not have this new life. You do not know Jesus. You are still in your sin. You don't know God. You're separated from God. Well, today come to the Savior. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he is no liar. He will do exactly as he has said. As he has done for many in this room. But if you are here and you do know Jesus, these verses, they encourage you to be assured. Your life is hidden with Christ. He has you, and he will never lose his grip. Not neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has you. None of those things will. Also, be glad. So be assured, be glad. Our text says, when, not if, Christ appears. So rejoice, brothers and sisters, whether you are young or you are old here, you will be with him, and when he returns, you will be with him also. Your glorification is sure in Christ. Glory is coming, and that is news, because it's a glory with our Savior. So, may we boldly, with Christ as our life, go and so live. Redeemed of the Lord, go and live the new life that you have in Christ. Let's pray.